Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Drum Network podcast. In this feature-length episode, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at gaming, its possibilities for marketing, and where brands fit into an ever more exciting and diverse world. All this week across the drum, we've been taking an in-depth look at gaming for our gaming deep dive. It's something that we know we're going to do again already, just because of the sheer amount of interest that we've had from our members. It's not just because of the huge amounts of money that are flowing into the gaming space, but it's in part because gaming is as much a part of culture as any other part of the media and marketing mix. So to discuss absolutely everything around gaming, from in-game advertising to where brands fit into the live streaming economy, all the way through to how brands can insert themselves into games without feeling interruptive, and in fact sometimes adding something to the experience, I'm joined by four fantastic guests. Due to the length of this week's episode, we've neatly divided it up into two halves. So we have two guests coming up first and then two guests to close off the episode at the end. So if you do feel like you need a break to go and play some Mario Kart or whatever you want, please do feel free to pause then and come back for even more insight. But to begin with, I'm going to ask my first two guests to introduce themselves. Hi, sure. Uh, I'm Tony Pizza. I am a senior producer at Jack Morton's innovation group called Jack X, and we work with brands to design experiences that are immersive, responsive, curated, and connected, um, focusing specifically on the ga- games, the metaverse, and anything new tech. Nice. Absolutely fantastic. And Eva? Hi, I'm Eva Steiner. I'm an art director from Ogilvy UK, uh, which is a uh, advertising company. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And actually, something that we've spoken about before is kind of the intersection of marketing and gaming. And more than ever before, we found that there are so many options for brands to get involved in gaming, to actually speak to gaming audiences as those audiences have broadened and as the tech behind it has become so much more sophisticated. But Tony, to begin with, Dan, I wondered when we're talking about gaming as a cohort, is there still a distinction between mobile and console gamers or how should we be thinking about those audiences as brands? Totally. Yeah, I think that's a, a good question. Um, we're definitely seeing like more and more people joining gaming communities on both platforms, both mobile and consoles. Um, but I think they're still separate places, separate like audiences. Um, there's like more overlap than we've ever seen before, but I think they're still distinct and sort of like need to be designed for in specific ways. Um even if you're interacting with the same sort of like brand or IP on these different platforms, like there's going to be different uh, differences, like control, just like basic input. Um, Mm -hmm. Like if you're like interacting on a mobile screen phone versus um, with a a VR headset versus, you know, a regular like game controller. Um, So I think they, we can offer similar things, but um, they need to be designed for those different audiences. See, I think that's that's so interesting, this idea as well, that because you know nobody before has answered it in that way. And I actually mentioned the fact that people do interact with games on consoles versus mobile very differently. It's you know, it's either grabbing a controller or it's you know actually just using the kind of the buttons and inputs you would anyway using a mobile phone. So, totally, yeah. And that probably maps it to what Eva, you said you're like a visual designer, right? So that probably the design visually for both of those types of places are very different. So I, I was going to say, I feel like also mobile gaming and um, console gaming are so different in terms of what you can get as a game. I feel like a mobile game, you can just pick up and you kind of go, whereas a lot of the console games are a lot more story driven. Obviously, there, there are um, different games, but because of that, you have with store, um, console games, you have a bigger story arc that you can actually do, like especially in marketing and in advertising, you can do more about whereas i think mobile games usually when you see ads for them it's like this is how the game looks like (laughs) and um for console games like they're massive kind of ad campaigns behind them um that just show the world that you're going to be in whereas like if you think about um angry birds or so that is a very kind of linear story (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen some unbelievable amounts of money put behind sort of, you know, gaming IP before when we've been advertising them. But when we actually think about those, the gaming experiences as well and where they intersect with marketing, do we think that there is still a, I suppose, an understanding from gamers that gaming and marketing don't really mix that well when you're playing, that, you know, ads are interruptive almost, or marketing messages within games themselves can be interruptive? Tony, I don't know what you sort of think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that'll like vary. I think brands can do a really good job of sort of like more seamlessly integrating how they're like communicating to players. 
um, I think like, yeah, the, the like knee jerk reaction is like, oh, ads are, ads are bad in games. They disrupt them, but I think it can be done really like really well. And I think we're starting to see that more, um, brands are getting smarter about how they work with game developers. And I think that like makes the experience better for everyone. It's so interesting as well how how quickly the the landscape has moved on because I th- I was thinking back to the kind of the PlayStation era where we had Pepsi Man which was a game yes where, yeah <laughs> a game where you, it was a playable ad effectively you were you know a, a the, you were the titular Pepsi Man and you were collecting cans of Pepsi as you ran through this world and yet now when we think about how brands are sort of integrated with into games they are so much more sophisticated so either where there where is there an opportunity opportunity rather for, for brands to get involved with with gaming sort of very high level I, I think that the one important thing with that is kind of be genuine about it like gamers will see it's like oh this is just an ad versus um you can actually do something in the, like you have real world um impacts on that there's there was this one campaign shamelessly plugging this but uk and toronto did a campaign pain um with animal crossing and helmets where they used an in-game mechanic to actually then have a real life impact so helmets was donating food with something that was then collected in the games and that is actually something where the brands have such a fantastic kind of input whereas you can think about things like clothing brands and stuff. I know mm. that that um, Adidas is like in the metaverse, for example, or anything Fortnite, I feel like, is every clothing brand on the planet is there and is representing it. I feel like there are the places for it. Like you just need to be genuine about it. You can't just be, oh, this is an ad and done with it. Absolutely. Totally. You ex- yeah, you can't expect that gamers will just kind of go, oh yeah, no, they. I recognize that brand name, therefore they automatically have a place within this landscape. And yeah. it's... Go on, Tony. Yeah, I was going to say, so yeah, I, t- I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, we need for both the brands to sort of like make sense for the, the game or the platform that they're on um, and for the, like, the, the game design aspect of it to sort of like match up with their goals. I think it's like we see when we see like an ad is just like slapped onto a game um, or a gaming experience, it like doesn't, it doesn't land for players. They, they know that it's not genuine. So you really have to like work together, like brand and platform to sort of like build out a really like valuable experience that speaks to players. Absolutely. It, sometimes it feels a little bit mercenary as well. It's you're, you're more aware that it's not necessarily a you know perfect work of art if all of a sudden their brand intrusion comes in you kind of go well this is i'm playing an ad for skittles you know it's not the kind of like very dark <laughs> rpg that i thought it was um so we were talking there about you know helmets and some clothing companies and obviously uniqlo has been in street fighter 5 but what other sectors do we think are what the verticals do we think are ripe for advertising against gaming as kind of we've mentioned the demographics are broadening we mentioned that i think it's one in three people now counts as a gamer according to facebook gaming research so where you know is the sky the limit for which brands can interact with um gaming content or again is it as you mentioned being about being authentic i think it's about being authentic it depends on the game it depends on the audience it depends on the brand itself um there's so much like there's so many different games out there as well, like from MMOs to to RPGs. You can like just yeah, the sky is the limit. What um, you just need to find the right niche almost mm. for your brand. That's again, just stay true to your brand and stay true to the game, and then you're winning. Nice, absolutely. And you know, we've spoken there about demographics broadening out. I wondered to what extent you see. Gaming becoming less of a, um, I suppose, discrete and kind of closed off ecosystem. We've seen, you know, huge successes from like Song of the Hedgehog, obviously extending into movies. There's a Halo TV show out there now. All these offer new opportunities for brands to get involved with gaming IP outside of gaming itself. So how far do you think we have yet to go in making sure that kind of gaming IPs can be integrated into kind of the wider entertainment and marketing landscape? Tony? Totally. Yeah, I think... Um... I think we're going to continue to see these gaming IPs like growing out beyond just the games. Um, And I think that because we see like fans doing this on their own, um, one thing that's like really important to us is like watching what sort of like user generated content there is on different platforms um, and, and seeing what, what and how players are creating outside of what's given to them. Um, and, And by sort of like observing that you can see like what, 
fans want more of. Um, and I think then that can be sort of leveraged out into other medias or with other brands. Um, so I think there's a ton of opportunity there and we're just starting to see these, like these really nice overlaps. Of course. And, and Eva, before you mentioned kind of Fortnite, which is, I suppose, one of the, the real test beds for IPs kind of launching within, within the game themselves. So to what extent then do you think that kind of the, the tech that underpins those games, which will allow themselves to be updated more regularly is really allowing kind of a, an evolution of the marketing conversation around gaming? Oh, sorry, Eva. Sorry, yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, you, I think, again, I'm, I'm saying this over and over again, but like you need to be just really good at it as well. And you need to kind of listen to what the people want, kind of what Tony said in terms of what's out there, what, what do fans make themselves? And that's kind of where brands can step in and actually tap into that kind of territory. Um, I was, I was going to say actually that, um, all the things that are out there in terms of kind of movies that are coming, like there's a Mario movie coming out later this year or yeah. next week. Yeah. Like the, the, there's, um, there's, I think in the past, a lot of games that have tried so hard to kind of become movies, become series. And some of them kind of really failed because oh, yeah. it was just, <laughs> it was just not the, it, it, it is not the experience that you have as a gamer because you, you're going from like an open world that mm-hmm. is just fantastic and magical to like a 2D screen and you, you can't um, influence the story. You can't do anything. And um, I think the one series that I've watched recent, recently that kind of actually did it quite well was The Witcher. I was just but about to say, the, yeah, is it going to be The Witcher? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then The Witcher kind of started as a book. So can you say it started from a game? Is that a gaming IP then mm. if it actually started from a book? But that was actually something that, that had a really kind of good reception but like i'm i'm just remembering like the world of warcraft movie was oh yeah, I think, I yeah. Put that on my mind yeah uh, <laughs> and no one wants to remember <laughs> yeah it's, it's like things like that i think um we're getting better at it we're getting better at actually embracing it and and seeing what's out there but before that it, it, it's such a it's such a hard thing to do right i think mm. there's so much potential yeah. And for so long, I think that the kind of the gaming community, what we think of as the gaming community, was protective of its IPs. They didn't necessarily want to see it done on the big screen because we knew that historically it had been done incorrectly. So there was yeah. a kind of brand damage issue to that. Yeah, it's really tricky to, I mean, it's a tough challenge because it's sort of like you were saying, um, you know, when you're playing a game, you have complete agency over like what decisions you're making and where the story goes. And, you know, putting that on rails is is going clearly going to like leave people who would make different decisions like out. So, so I think it's when maybe once we're seeing it more, people will get more used to it and be like, Oh yeah, this is like one path that the Mm. story can take um, rather than like be frustrated that it's the the full representation. I suppose this goes to authenticity. It, it, you know, you need to know the people who are making it have a kind of a a respect for the source material. They're not just trying to take it and make a movie using kind of familiar names and none of the kind of the themes or anything. Or you do something like Netflix with Black Mirror, where you actually gamify mm-hmm. the movie. That could yeah. be something that is could be that very was... interesting to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we've we've spoken there about kind of the gaming community, but obviously now gaming has become such a social activity, and particularly over the course of the last sort of two two and a half years, as you know, people use Animal Crossing to stay in touch, as people really developed online communities. So then, to what extent do you think now that kind of social as a part of gaming is something that brands need to be taking awareness of and sort of mentioning the fact that they should be on you know, Twitch, appearing on any of these kind of social platforms? Uh, Tony, you mentioned kind of experiences as opposed to games before. Is that sort of what you were alluding to? Um, yeah, to, yeah, definitely to some extent. Um, I think, yeah, games, I feel like games have like always been like very social spaces. Um, but, you know, thanks to the past few years, like people are more people and new audiences are spending time socially in these spaces, not just to play a game, but to like meet up with their friends. So I do think that, yeah, we need that infrastructure and like brands need to be aware that um, it's not just about like the the game or or the message, but it's about sort of like really facilitating these social interactions or like making sure people feel like they can hang out with their friends in these spaces. Um, But yeah, I think to some extent it is like, oh yeah, we brands like should be using like Twitch and, um, you know, in smart ways, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely where people are like spending their time and, and connecting. So I think it's like, yeah, that's like oftentimes a good place for, for brands to sort of like make their mark. 
And do you think that there's anybody, just to stay with you, Tony, before we come to you, Eva, for kind of what Ogilvy's seen. Tony, do you think there are any brands who are doing that really, really well, particularly in terms of kind of that live streaming community, live interaction side? Hmm. Live, let's see, live streaming, who's doing it well? Um, I think um, we've seen, I think Chipotle, um, Chipotle has done some like really big um, tournaments mm. uh, and, and partnerships. Um, so I think I've, I've seen, I've like seen and heard about those with um, like lots of personalities, athletes, uh, actual gaming community, just like drawing large audiences um, in ways that like people like really enjoyed. Nice. That makes total sense as well. That's one of those brands that feels like because of how it presents itself could kind of fit into that ecosystem really, really, really nicely. And even then from Ogilvy's point of view, what do you, what have you seen from, from brands and potential clients who want to know how to interact with those live gaming audiences as well? I guess there's, there's a whole thing about, um, do you just want to sponsor a streamer, for example, that's like the easiest way to do it. Um, and then how do you create something that is unique? Um, do you tap into one specific game? Do you do tournaments? Do you do just, um, on just kind of competitions is so varied of what you can do in Twitch's Twitch and also YouTube and mm. YouTube have the whole gaming platform obviously as well. It's just such a growing market. Um, and so genuine. And once you, you kind of connect with a streamer, you, um, can kind of t- can tap into that and can tap into that kind of community as well, because there are like such like small micro communities almost being built around not only a game, but also about streamers themselves. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of that influencer mentality just applied to yeah. something that is kind mm-hmm. of live interaction as well. Fantastic. And uh, we we obviously get asked about all this all the time. My my inbox is just filled with pitches from people wanting to talk about the new NFT game and crypto within gaming. But do what, to what extent do you think that that has a place in the kind of the wider gaming landscape? And you know, I suppose in terms of how games themselves are sold and marketed, in terms of having NFT um, interaction and and kind of crypto um, engagement as well, do we think that's part and parcel of it, or is it something that we will see kind of grow more slowly or not at all? Yeah, I don't know who wants to take that. <laughs> who wants to take it? I'll, okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> um, okay, I wouldn't totally write it off. I think that if someone finds sort of like a way for NFTs and crypto to enhance the gameplay experience in a way that is like really accessible, um, we could see a big shift. I don't think we quite. I don't think anyone that I, that I've seen has like cracked the code of like what a smart and like seamless way to integrate these things into technology and like a large into gaming on a large, large scale way. I don't think that's happened yet. Um, I think when, once we get the like Pokemon go of NFTs and gaming, then we'll see that shift, but I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. And we've seen some such high profile failures of those kind of those NFT creature games. Um, I think it was what Axie Infinity had the largest ever crypto hack as a result. You know, it tried to do something like that and then it ended up just being the the site of the the greatest ever crypto heist. But either then, is there a sort of a, a danger in trying to embrace those new tech um, opportunities without actually thinking about what they offer to the gaming medium? Is it just, is there a danger that we get, get distracted by the kind of the glitter of it? Absolutely. I, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, is NFTs just a new kind of way of doing microtransactions? Mm-hmm. Because like you, you're basically just buying, buying extra stuff, extra skins, extra armor, extra, extra things. And what it does is um, it could almost give some people an unfair advantage just because they are, um, they have a bit more money or they have cryptocurrency. And, and I feel like with, um, cryptocurrencies it's one of those things where there is a bit of a moral dilemma for gaming companies as well mm-hmm. where you um i was talking about this with someone the other day it's like the first pizza that was bought with bitcoin was bought for ten thousand bitcoins oh my God. which is now which is now over 200 million pounds and you you just think about it that way and you because they're they're so unstable and they're so kind of you, you you can't predict them. Can a company in itself actually justify putting something out for crypto? And yeah. then there might be someone who's like gambled on this and has just lost their entire life savings. Plus there's this whole side about being bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do gaming companies from a, again, from a more perspective, do 
gaming companies want to support that. Um, but that said, I feel like there is a certain place, again, going back to being authentic, um, I think things like armors and skins, that could be really interesting for companies to do. Um, I was thinking about things like memberships. Like mm. what, what is something that actually gives value to the people and what do you want to like not something that is just aesthetic but could you be could it be a membership card and you're thinking about certain guilds and in, in world of warcraft or um other clubs is that something that you can actually introduce where it just is a bit more meaningful rather yeah. than just here's just another sword yeah it actually has yeah. some kind of functionality to it as well yeah yeah, definitely. Completely agree that if if it's not enhancing or bringing something new to the experience, then it's like people aren't going to yeah. walk to it as much. Yeah. Um, I just want to go at something you said, Eva. I was reading about a, uh, a, a God, like a couple of years ago now, a Super Smash Brothers tournament where the first prize was $150, second prize was uh, $50, and the third prize was like 25 Bitcoin. And obviously <laughs> at the time you'd go like, why would I, why would why? I ever want that? Yeah, God, I can't believe I didn't get that $50. And now if you came third in that tournament, you are so far. You are so much more <laughs> yeah. than everybody else. Um, yeah. then as we sort of come to, come to the end of the discussion, I wondered, and we could talk about any one of the topics you've mentioned for hours, but I wondered what are you both most excited about when it comes to the intersection of gaming and marketing? Is it the ability to you know bring in brands that have never interacted with gaming content and audiences before? Is it kind of the new tech that allows us to you know do dynamically insert add billboards within games? What is so much? What is exciting you most about kind of that intersection, um, Eva? I think that's um, it's just doing good in in the game and outside the game is really something that I feel like is is something that's needed. So breaching almost the the reality of the game and the our reality is mm. just very exciting. How can you make a difference? Um, but also at the same time, how can you make it still fun? Because that's what games are. Like after all, they they just want to be fun. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting over the years. I think that not many companies at the moment are actually tapping into games. And I think we're going to definitely see a big shift in that in the future. Because especially the last two years with the pandemic, so many people have actually gone into gaming because that was they had nothing to do or they couldn't go outside. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was something like I bought a switch during the pandemic and I'm now at like a thousand hours on animal crossing and I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things where there's such a big market and it would be such a missed opportunity not to tap into it. Yeah. I, I, you know, and exactly the same as well. I dread to think how many hours I put into my <laughs> Island now. I won't even look at the, the kind of the play count. You can look it up. <laughs> I'm not going to. I turned it off for that reason. And Tony, what are you sort of most excited about in that inter in that intersection? Yeah, I am. I think this is a very fun challenge um, for sort of like marketers to learn how to like do games well. Um, game design on its own is like is very challenging. So I think this is like such a good opportunity for marketers and game design to work together, and for marketers to get smart about what games are what game design is and how we can sort of like leverage each other to like make even stronger uh, experiences. Yeah, definitely. We've just seen kind of Unreal Engine 5 is being, you know, yeah. really kind of broadened out into the marketing world. In fact, the IPA in the UK is doing exactly that. It's doing kind of a crash course in what Unreal Engine can do for marketing materials. So there's that huge overlap there. But yeah, thank you both so much for coming on and having a, a chat about this. Like I said, we could have spoken for it, about it for hours and hours and hours. As a very final question, I wondered if anybody who's listening wants to get in contact with you about any of the work that you've mentioned or, you know, future work, or even just to bend your ear about anything you've mentioned, where's the best place for them to reach you? So Tony could be a website, could be email, LinkedIn, anything. Could be an Animal sure. Crossing friend code, you know, it could be absolutely anything <laughs> at all. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if folks want to get in touch with me, I'm on, on Twitter t at tpizza. Um, uh, for Jack-related re uh, inquiries, we'll direct them to experience at jackmorton.com. That's an email. You can catch us there and get in touch with me or anyone else on our team. Nice. Fantastic. And Eva, where's the best place for people to reach you? Uh, Instagram at Eva M. Steiner. And um, just Ogilvy would be just on the website and they will direct you in the right direction of depending if you want careers new business anything. nice fantastic <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, now is your intermission for this episode. Please do stick around as we have even more insight from our two guests in the back half of the episode. But if you do want to take a quick break, grab a drink and then come back to listen to even more insight about this most interesting and dynamic of marketing opportunities, then please feel free. Otherwise, we're going to roll straight on and I'm going to ask my next two guests to introduce themselves. Thank you for having me today, Chris. I'm John Goinshore, Head of Global Partnerships for VML Wine Commerce. I lead our collab practice, a specialty discipline within our agency that brings partnerships to life at the intersection of culture and commerce. We partner with our clients to identify, evaluate, negotiate, and activate all different types of collaborations with a heavy emphasis on gaming. Nice. Absolutely fantastic. There's so much there we can pick apart. And Rafe, why don't you tell us who you are, where you're from? Uh, I'm Rafe Blanford. I'm the Chief Product Officer at Digitas UK. And Digitas is an agency that helps our clients get future ready. Uh, and that's kind of across a whole bunch of services, including products and platforms, customer engagement, uh, media and experience consulting. Um, my responsibility is kind of looking after product and technology. So that inevitably means I end up with a kind of label of the geek of the agency. <laughs> so whether that's looking at Web3 or gaming or VR, and I think that will be um, helpful today, but also bringing that kind of product and technology mindset to thinking about it, which of course is increasingly important when you think about advertising, because at the end of the day, it's all connected experiences. That is absolutely true. And one of the things that you both mentioned there was kind of that very future-facing approach to uh, to gaming. But the reality is that the intersection of gaming and marketing has existed for years and years and years. I wonder, John, could you give us a brief, I suppose a very brief explanation of what has happened in that kind of intersection over the last two years as community has come to the fore, as social gaming has come to the fore, as people felt that need to connect? Yeah, I, I think if there was a silver lining in terms of what we all had to go through, it was that a lot of uh, behaviors, especially within gaming, has has been um, you know evolved in terms of the social connection that's taking place amongst communities. And one of the things that actually I have loved seeing is just how much um, pro-social uh, engagement has happened. I saw something um, yesterday whereby Twitch in 2020 raised over $80 million uh, in charities um, mm-hmm. across all their uh, influencers. So it's really not just um, you know gaming for profit, it's gaming for good that I've noticed. So I would say that was one of the things that uh, I've loved seeing. Yeah, certainly. And it's great you mentioned Twitch there because some of the charity streams, which haven't you know necessarily been officially affiliated with Twitch, have demonstrated exactly that, that kind of community mindset that comes around building a social activity around games, as you said, for good or sometimes just for entertainment. And Rafe, before you were talking about kind of the, the future and VR and everything, to what extent do you think some of the social experiences we've had, some of those communal experiences have helped inform the future of gaming, you know, in terms of it being a social platform as well as an entertainment hub? Uh, I absolutely think they have, but I'd almost turn it back and go, I think that's been a pattern of gaming for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the future, actually what we're seeing is I think social and gaming come together. And social has kind of been a dominant thing in the last maybe 10 years, maybe as mobile was before it. But gaming has been underlying that as a sector all along. And it's interesting. I think it's becoming more and more mainstream as that community Mm -hmm. and creator comes to the fore. And so people start, you know, asking the question, what do you play in the same way as going to the cinema? And what film did you see? Watch TV, you're watching. That is, you know, it's come, you know, mainstream. And I think that's a good thing. That's I'm not the first person to make that observation, obviously. But I think that's happened because of that social lens. And it's become a very acceptable thing to talk about. And actually, when you talk about play, that's only actually one element of it now. Mm. It's also watch and create and sort of Twitch, as we just referred to, is a large part of that. And if I think of that going forward, then, you know, the things that I think are on the agenda, which is like the technology becoming, you know, whether that's metaverse or whether it's the future of the console or mobile gaming, all of that is kind of adding to a richness and immersiveness. And honestly, the narrative storytelling that you can see drawing in so many parallels from other areas that that is the thing that excites me rather than the technology itself because actually putting a pin of junk on your face i'm still (laughs) not sure how widely that will be adopted yeah but the way that that allows people to resituate themselves is incredibly exciting and the way that that is crossing over with other forms of entertainment 
is also, you know, that's that for me is the future. And it, you know, people talk about gaming as a thing. Actually, gaming is kind of it's a bit like what happened to smartphones. Everything converged into the smartphone. I kind of feel that a lot of entertainment is converging into gaming. Certainly. And I think that, you know, we'll all anecdotally have some stories about that. I know that my girlfriend would never consider herself a gamer, but over the last two years, she's been playing you know, Professor Layton with me. She she ref- adamantly refuses to believe that she's playing games, but she is. She is. So then you, what you've really queued up there, Rafe, is a discussion about what we talk about when we're talking about gaming cohorts in terms of marketing. So, John, to what extent do we have to think about gamers as their own separate segment now? I believe that storytelling is going to play a critical role in ensuring that we are appealing to the right audience and it's not a one size fits all. So it's going to depend on, you know, what, if it's a brand aligning with a certain publisher for a specific game, you know, what, what is, um, you know, the message that you're trying to communicate? What is the, what is the value Mm. that you are trying to um, achieve in that as all of you can appreciate when we're doing partnerships, how are you putting the consumer at the center of all those experiences. So I would say that, um, you know, it's segmenting to a certain degree and not making that assumption that uh, the Gen Z's and and millennials are all going to have similar tastes. They play games differently. So uh, I would say that um, it depends on, uh, you know, the game that you're particularly partnering with. See, that I think is is fascinating. And that's going to lead very neatly onto this next question, which is to what extent then can brands become part of that gaming conversation without it feeling too intrusive? You know, in the past, we've seen Adver Games, we've seen, you know, Sneak King, which was a Burger King based game. We've seen uh, Pepsi Man w- way back on the PlayStation. But those, that the conversation has moved on. And now brands are kind of inserting themselves into games in a very different way. So, to what extent, Rafe, do you think that there is an opportunity for brands to become a part of the gaming landscape in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like it is? intrusive or interruptive i think it depends so much on the activation mm. um and yes there is that opportunity there and some brands probably have more permission to play uh than elsewhere because of of what they're doing and also their history um you know a brand like red bull is a, a good example that no one's going to even think twice about it or any of the car manufacturers being mm. in car games and i think in that sense some of the most interesting ones are when it happens the equivalent of native or organic advertising in gaming. And I think of an example recently where uh, BT was pushing Hope United, which was about kind of kicking racism out of football and stopping online abuse. They put that Hope United strip into FIFA 2022. Uh, is that advertising? Yes, I, I think it is. And of course, you're also seeing kind of Microsoft is doing announcements about putting dynamic advertising into kind of the environments in which you're playing and sort of the equivalent of advertising hoardings and things like that. So, you know, that's then, but that's just one element of what you can do. There is absolutely brands creating their own games. And I mean, that's been around forever, you know, Heineken with the first kind of the beer drinking app, which was one of the first things on the iPhone. Was that a game? Yeah, maybe. Um, And that has um, continued. But what I think is different now it kind of goes back to that storytelling brands are becoming smarter about the way they do that it's not just a kind of in your face uh brand being positioned like a out of home advertising hoarding in a game Mm. or some kind of partnership it's more subtle than that and the most successful partnerships and executions to see are that i mean the the course the tricky thing there is there's not always the direct attribution or kind of the click-through model that applies on the web which is like dominated digital advertising for the last 20 years arguably gaming is almost kind of a revisit to that you know brand advertising and driving awareness not necessarily uh, acquisition i think that's it works with that audience, particularly a dedicated gaming audience, because they'll see the same thing over and over again, or there'll be a positive association by being part of that that game. And, you know, you can't talk about this without starting to talk about gaming worlds yeah. and what that does and brands being present, present there and, you know, that difference between physical and digital. So, yes, I think it is, but I think it's also worth noting that that is kind of at the forefront of things. There's still a lot of uh, advertising and executions that feel incredibly crass. And you, know, you look at mobile gaming, for example, it's just that kind of, oh, we're going to interrupt you with an advert yeah. every time you play a game or 30 seconds. And being honest, that's still where most of the money is and that's where the volume is. Um, and so that should still be a large part of the conversation. You know, how do you move away from that? Um, because that that's sort of driven by kind of custom behavior. 
um, essentially and kind of nagging and everything yeah. else. And, and the truth is it does work. You know, you can drive enormous amount of application or downloads out of advertising, in-game advertising, and you can also kind of drive revenue by in-app purchases mm. um, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, you, you haven't, we haven't touched on it yet, but, you know, mobile is one segment. Then there is kind of PC gaming and console, but gaming goes much beyond that. that they're blurring as well um, because you think about um, whether that's you know the way IP is bleeding into Ivan advertising and having that. So it's just not it's not a very easy question to, to answer. <laughs> no. um, but hopefully, I've just touched on a few examples there which show it can be done, and it's not, you know it's such a far cry from the web, which I think it often gets compared to when you were just Absolutely sticking does, banner yeah. adverts up there, and actually. I'm not sure, you know, that's obviously evolved too. We've got smarter on native advertising. Gaming offers, uh, I would say, a broader canvas and the partnerships that I see there, I think are going to be effective, which is probably why people are so excited about it. Yeah. That, and the fact that gaming is definitely a rising tide. I mean, as you said, like, I, you know, we're going to get to the point where there are very few people who don't have some sort of gaming activity in their yeah, life. They're, 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 they're building up those habits, even if they're not necessarily aware of it. So you've, you've raised so many points there, and I wanted to quickly go back to one. So John, you were very, you were nodding quite vigorously there for the benefit of the listeners, um, to the, <laughs> particularly to the piece about um, what Rafe was saying about actually doing it well and making sure that it isn't necessarily just sticking something in in the middle of, a, of an experience. So uh, do you think that we're still in that mindset a little bit when it comes to brands becoming part of the gaming conversation? I think that we're starting to see some shifts in that area, but I would say largely it's still more of that borrowed equity mm. versus more of that branded owned equity. And I think that even non-endemic brands can play a role within gaming if they really understand how their brand attributes line up with that particular game or that community. Again, we talked a lot about storytelling, but it also has to do with how we're communicating the partnership. And Rafe just brought up how platform agnostic um, consumers are now, too, to the extent that you can offer up value. Maybe it is DLC mm. that you could be able to utilize when you're mobile gaming or on your console or on your PC. So how can the partner... Um, or the brand become more versatile in terms of how they're understanding their consumers' uh, unique needs and um, habits around how they game. So we're making progress for sure, but um, I think we're still in the infancy stages of really showcasing how you know the the brand could show up within these communities in the most authentic way but to what extent then i don't know which of you wants to take this first do you think that kind of nfts crypto tokens that actually confer some benefit will be the future or are part of the future rather of gaming because I'm, i don't i'm loath to say it's kind of a silver bullet for any of the industry's woes it's a, an interesting question because like i think everyone is aware that there has been a backlash you mentioned team 17 i think it was andrew wilson who's the ceo of ea said in november oh this is a really important part of our future then four months later on an analyst call he goes you basically walk back from the comments <laughs> and, oh they're actually not yeah um but i actually think it's not so much the nfts themselves and that you can probably in cryptocurrency we should probably tackle separately mm. um it's the way that they're being used. And I think gamers felt like they were being, it was another excuse to kind of do micro payments or yeah. take money off them. But if you look at the underlying things, you know, collectability is absolutely a thing. And, you know, there's interesting ethics around kind of the loot boxes and that uh, digital equivalent to the physical thing. And, you know, and long have we seen like um, games packaged with, figurines or things like that. And so I think it can be an important part of it, but I don't think it's nearly as a, a core as people would have you believe. Um, and so I think it's been overhyped. You know, there's, you look at the sales of NFTs, they're dropping into this year. I think the peak for gaming NFTs was last November. And actually, if anything, gaming was probably a little bit ahead of things, not mm. surprising given the technical savviness of, of that audience. And so you know, the things that plague NFTs have just as much an impact in gaming, if anything more so. So the environmental concerns, and yes, there are blockchains that try and sort that out, and Ethereum is heading that way, but we're not there yet. And so that's what I mean. And when I talk about the sensitivity of the gaming audience, they're really onto that sort of thing that they know, and because it's part of their community, um, 
they are concerned about that. Uh, but the idea that you can kind of um, have a, a token for something is clearly important, and, and maybe uh, we'll come back to that because cryptocurrency yeah, is, a, is a different a different topic. Um, I, I think the cynicism that is built into the most dedicated gaming is probably going to make NFT have a bit of a rough rough ride through it this year. Yeah. Longer term, though, I, I think the idea of kind of non fungible tokens in gaming is interesting because there is that whole collector. Uh, and idea that you want to have completeness and all of those kind of things. I just don't think basing a game around it is a good idea. Oh yeah, so we've seen, yeah we've seen some absolute collapses in terms of that as well. But you're right. I think that the the arc of it will be something similar to kind of like the introduction of uh, DLC horse armor in Oblivion, where everybody said, "Well, what's the kind of what's the point?" And now it's just become the cosmetic DLC, as we've mentioned, is kind of a big uh, opportunity. No, yeah. Yeah. So to what extent then, John? Do you think that there is a um, that brands can sort of interact with uh, consumers on that level in terms of actually introducing either NFTs into the space or as Nike has done, creating their own metaverse space? Yeah, I think there are some really big opportunities. And actually, there was a colleague of mine who recently um, did an opinion piece for the drum, Jennifer De Silva, and she talked about how NFTs um, are missing a huge opportunity initially because of how much they're focusing on this bro culture, if you will. And, um, you know, from a gender inclusivity standpoint, knowing that over 45% of gamers are women, but at the same time, only 15% uh, of NFTs are created by women. I think there's a really interesting story that could be told in that regard, appealing to, um, to women in a really powerful way. And I don't think it's just going to appeal to women. Mm. It's going to appeal to, to um, you know, men as well. So I think that there's a great opportunity there. And it actually um, mirrors uh, something that Buick just recently did. You guys probably see it, saw it around the uh, NCAA um, March Madness, but they did a uh, partnership or a campaign that basically spoke to how 40% of athletes are female, yet receive only 10% of the total media mm. coverage. So I think there's some interesting parallels and some really great marketing that we might be able to accomplish in the NFT space as it relates to women. Um, we were talking there about kind of how gaming is culture. I wonder to what extent then, John, do you think that there is an opportunity for brands to interact with with gaming IPs, but beyond the kind of the physical act of playing a game? So we've seen some huge IPs extended to movies. You know, the esports world is exploding in popularity kind of globally, slower in Europe, um, but you know, it's still expanding. Where then do you think there's an opportunity beyond kind of the balance of literally just playing a game? Yeah, it's it, it's so, such an interesting subject matter because you know you look at how video games um, have performed, or movies based on video games have performed at the box office up until recently. It's been dismal, yeah. and and I would argue that the theory of how all these properties are doomed to fa doomed to fail on the big screen because gaming is so inherently interactive. It isn't isn't wasn't true in that you know there there is a philosophy around oh you you only um, can um, really um, enjoy gaming um, you know when you're you're the star of, of the game and, and you're you're the content creator if mm -hmm. you will versus having a passive experience. I think what's changed is that you're seeing Hollywood starting to listen more to the game developers and to actually um, start um, being a little bit more faithful to the source material of the game as it gets translated to the big screen. So you're starting to see that a little bit with you know, the success of Pokemon, Sonic, two sequels that did really well, and then the most recently Uncharted. Mm. It did phenomenally well. And, um, you know, you're also starting to see how that's extending to streaming as well, whereby like Halo Infinite, you're seeing how successful that adaptation has become. And I think it's really exciting for brands because now they have the ability to not just tap into uh, the, the gaming IP, if you will. They could tap into that IP across movies, across licensing, um, across streaming properties. So it gives them a little bit more versatility within that property as well. 
and certainly benefits the kind of the, the big entertainment giants like Sony, which obviously have not just the film wing, but the gaming wing as well. So if you're looking at something like, say, the uh, the Uncharted movie. Um, but then, Rafe, as a, before we kind of come to the end of this, because I do want to ask you what you're both most excited about in this space. But Rafe, to what extent then do you think that that is because in some cases it's now the inmates running the asylum and people have grown up with gaming IPs who finally get it and aren't necessarily ashamed of where this uh, IP has come from are now in charge of actually commissioning and advertising around gaming IPs? Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think that's probably absolutely true because actually, as we were speaking about at the beginning, gaming has a, a long history and, you know, some of the movies that are a little bit older were based on, you know, Pong and Pac-Man <laughs> and all of those kind of things. I, I would say it's probably more that there's been an acceptance that gaming IP now equals entertainment IP mm. and the, the lines between things are blurring. And that's happening in both directions. Uh, you know, spoke about the movies there and yeah, Netflix, you know, with The Witcher being an absolute hit TV series. But interestingly, Netflix are also going the other way in their producing games off the back of their uh, TV series. Um, and so that is actually that merging into a single thing. And I'd go back to what we spoke about earlier. And so there's also that it's the watch and the create. And you mentioned esports there. For a brand, it's very easy to go and kind of sponsor an esports brand and find the appropriate uh, cultural connection. You know, that that seems like look at the parallels with sport. Yeah. And you know, gaming has become a sport. Um, and all the opportunities that exist there, the influencers as well are going to be already are big. And I think this is probably the challenge. I think when answering that kind of question is people tend to put gaming in a category. I'm not sure it should be a category. It's kind of present everywhere. And actually going back to what you were, uh, you know, the lunatics have taken over, but they're not lunatics. It's like, yeah. that is just the way it is. And if anything, um, the people previously like were missing the really obvious and they were in the minority. And so there is an element of uh, lunatics running asylum, but I would um, actually say the lunatics have probably been pushed <laughs> out because yeah. they were the ones that are uh, out of touch with the mainstream. And thinking about gaming is all oh, these people hiding in the basement playing on their console. It's complete rubbish. I mean, yeah. we talked about the uh, 46% of uh, gamers being female, you know, gaming grannies, you know, it's all there. And actually, I think one of the things I, I love most about gaming is the inclusivity of it. And actually, it is a force for good. You know, you think about GG that people will say in the stream or watching, it's good gaming. It is a really positive uh, force and much more so than I think the general perception would be if you went and read read some of the kind of tabloid media or where you only hear about the horror stories. You don't hear about the good, you know, talked about fundraising earlier. You mm. talked about communities coming together to take action. You know, often you'll read about a story about someone, they, they check out on someone because they haven't been online in a few days and people are forming friendships. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And actually seeing um, companies engage and become part of that, you know, I, I actually think the biggest danger is that companies will come off as, um, and brands will be unauthentic because the barriers are going to be higher in gaming than they are they are elsewhere, which is, you know, a long answer to your question. But um, yeah, I definitely not the right. lunatics running the uh, <laughs> asylum. And like you said, you know, there are tremendous benefits for doing it right. But if you get it wrong, if you just do it in a kind of very mercenary approach to it, like we'll put money in front of these gaming audiences and they will inevitably buy a product. Like you said, in fact, like both of you said, I don't think that the brands will succeed. But then as a very final question, John, I wondered... Um, what are you most excited about then of everything we've spoken about, whether that is new tech, whether that is the social aspect, whether that's the extension of IPs, what are you most excited about when it comes to the intersection of gaming and marketing? Chris, I'd say I'm most excited from a brand collaboration perspective in that it all starts with storytelling. I would argue that gaming is pop culture's greatest form of escapism. And we need that now more than ever before. There are so many amazing stories that brands could tell within this territory to that end there's close to 3 billion gamers that we can tell it to. And they're so cross-generational, multicultural, and general neutral. So there's opportunities to really tap into these passionate fan bases. And as we talked about earlier, gamers are so platform agnostic so that we can reach them now in more modern ways than ever before, physically and digitally, 
And that leads us to much more rewarding experiences well beyond the DLCs. We have co-ops as well as creating more long-term value with uh, gamers. And finally, that all ladders up to the ROI. When you find the right partner in gaming and activate it the right way, you can expect a 20% ROI. And that said, it's not to mention how much pro-social gaming for good is happening. So yes, I'm quite bullish on the future of gaming, Chris. I'll answer that from two views, if I may. As a marketeer, I think the thing that excites me about gaming is you can reach an audience that you can't normally reach. Um, and there has been this concern that how do you reach the 14 to 25-year-olds or whichever generation or label you, you choose to use, absolutely present there and are very much wanting people to become part of that community. So you get it right. You can reach that audience in a way that you just can't um, mm. throughout other, other systems. The mm. opposite way around to put that is I think um, – Thing that excites me most is when brands actually add to the gaming experience um, because it's the most authentic and obviously it converts better. But isn't it great to have something that can actually be enhanced by seeing advertising or a brand or an awareness thing become part of it? It's quite difficult to pull out specific examples, but we talked about Nike earlier and the way that some of the way they've been interacting with gaming and sports and mm. there's a really interesting crossover starting to happen here is often used as a force for positive good and you know whether that's encouraging exercise and all the things that nike has started to do with their adjacent services like is it pure gaming well perhaps not um but i do feel like it's connected and that is a, a force for good so uh you know it can be that virtuous circle and the way that that plays into community and creator and that being a flywheel for gaming, I think that's the thing that probably excites me most. 100%. And like you said, everything intersects now. Gaming is culture. So we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes we find it hard to draw a line about what does and doesn't quite count as gaming. But John, Ray, thank you so much for that. I Hopefully we'll get you back very shortly to talk about this in more detail because you know my mission is to secretly make the drummer gaming site. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, for, for now... John, Rafe, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, Benji, we're about anything you've mentioned. Where's the best place for them to reach you? I'll start with John. Sure. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn or Twitter. It's a pretty unique name in Goinshore, G-O-Y-N-S-H-O-R. But if you would, did want to email me, it's john.goynshor at vmlynrcommerce.com. Perfect. And Rafe? I likewise can be reached through the conventional channels and rafe.blanford.digitalist.com and LinkedIn. But I'd also invite you to come and find me uh, on the Oculus Quest in Rec Room as Rafe Blanford. And so if you want to play some social games, come and find me there. I will be there. Absolutely. I've got my Oculus charging in the other room. Fantastic. So ladies, gentlemen, everybody, whether you consider yourself a gamer or a soon-to-be gamer, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Drum Network podcast. Please do stick around on thedrum.com where there are so many more articles over the course of this gaming deep dive that will help you explore absolutely everything that we've touched upon in this week's episode in greater detail. But until next week, I'd like to thank all my guests again. Thank you all for listening and goodbye. <laughs>